When it comes down to it, do you really know what your customers want from your institution? That seems to be the eternal question for today's banks at a time when competition for attracting and retaining customers is at an all-time high. To get some answers, CSI recently commissioned an online survey conducted by global market research firm, The Harris Poll. The survey posed eight questions to more than 2,000 U.S. adults ages 18 and above to help uncover some of the driving factors they look for in their banking relationships. Some of the answers were surprising, while others, not so much. To help us analyze the results, we spoke to a former community banker turned digital strategist now serving community banks. So which results did he find particularly noteworthy? It could very well be interpreted. Nine in 10 consumers told us that they're happy with their digital offerings. But look within your bank to find out, well, who's falling outside of that? And those are the ones that you're at risk of losing. I'm Laura Sewell. I'm Andy Goldstein, and you're listening to FinTech Focus from CSI. CSI's 2018 Consumer Poll covered a wide range of topics in the digital realm, from the security of mobile-based payments to the importance of a financial institution's presence on social media. So what do the survey's results tell us about the modern banking consumer? We're about to find out. Eric Cook was a community banker for 15 years. He's now a digital strategist specializing in community banks at WSI, the world's largest digital agency network. And he's a faculty member for several banking schools. Eric routinely works with community banks nationwide, helping them develop their online strategy and overall digital presence. Eric, welcome to FinTech Focus. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. According to CSI's consumer poll, 86% of Americans expect a seamless experience across all channels and devices when they conduct online banking activities. Does that percentage surprise you at all? Not really. I I wouldn't be surprised if it was even higher than that, because when you break down that question of a seamless experience and you look at other digital experiences that we have outside of the world of banking, why wouldn't you expect that entire process to match and be consistent? So if if I'm jumping into uh, the online presence for a bank. I go to their website. I call them on the phone. I interact with them through the ATM. I'm going to expect the same balance. I'm going to expect the same info. I'm going to expect the same branding. Um, And if I don't see that, maybe as a consumer, I may not necessarily think that's weird, but subconsciously that's going to break something. And we just need to be really careful that we're we're not giving that subconscious break to our customers at any opportunity along that that digital journey that they experience with us. So how important do you think that is, though, Eric? Do you think people are, you know, going to eventually expect that so much that they're going to look for institutions that provide that seamless experience? I think they will. I think the the world is much more of a digital place now than it ever has been, and it's only going to continue getting more digitized. So when you think about that experience of the mobile app and the website and all the other non-physical touch points that we have with our customers, if you've got, and I know that's a challenge with a lot of community banks because they're using third-party providers to do things like the online application or debit card ordering or online account origination, and some of those platforms just simply don't have the capability to match 
the website, which I kind of go back to as being the one controllable digital element that the bank has that really should be setting the expectation for everything else. But holding all of those other channels to the same standard may not be possible. You might not have a mobile responsive capability in a third party, but the website is. So now all of a sudden you get people coming to your web that want to engage with you on a mobile, but do something and, and things break. And I, I don't think we're spending enough time trying to make that a reality, unfortunately. So turning to the branch, very different subject here, but in the poll, 85% of Americans told us they want all of their needs resolved by their initial point of contact when they walk into the branch. How would you say banks can deliver on this expectation? Well, the, the industry has been talking about the concept of the universal banker. I, I think the concept of the universal banker is one that we really need to embrace. For example, a, a if you can implement some sort of a technology that maybe somebody's not totally comfortable acting as a mortgage loan originator, but they can use some sort of an online system that has artificial intelligence built within it, that can ask the particular questions, and the employee can be more of a facilitator of that data collection process. So when somebody asks a question, technology or services can educate and be part of that. I think that's a good way to start the process. But it really goes back to the staff that you have in the branch and making sure that you're training them on all the different elements of what sorts of things you would expect them to be able to answer and making sure that they know where they can go to get the answer or who they can engage in that conversation. So even though the branch visit may not be totally taken care of by one person, that branch visit can have maybe a couple of different people where, oh, well, let me introduce you to Laura. She's our wealth management professional. She's going to be the individual that's going to be much better versed in the questions that you have about college funding or retirement planning. Um, so I'm not feeling like I have to be that person, but that experience in the branch can be one where they can get answers to all of those questions in one in one shot. Speaking of education and advice, I wanted to ask you about what we think is one of the more interesting discoveries from the survey. So we asked American consumers whether they want their financial institution to offer them products and services that can help them reach their long-term financial goals. And 83% of them said yes. So it sounds like to us that they are really open to accepting advice from their bank on this topic. Do you agree? And what do you think are some ways in which banks can position themselves to be successful in an advisory role for their customers? I think we first have to get out of the fear, and I was a banker for 15 years, so I get it, I lived it, I saw it within my own office. We have to get out of the fear or the thinking that if I present a new product or service or an idea to a customer, they're going to be offended because they're going to feel like I'm trying to sell them something and nobody likes to be sold to and the visions of plaid-coated used car salesmen jump to mind. What I think it goes back to the universal banker and asking the right questions is understanding where there's good needs and opportunities so that you're not selling them something that they don't want because that's not good for anybody. But you're looking for cues and understanding that it would be good to work that into the conversation and positioning your brain so that you think of that as being more of a helpful, I'm, I'm making their life more simple, I'm 
helping them get to what their goal is. And customers aren't always going to ask specifically for the things that they want or need because they might not know. They're not bankers. They're not financial professionals. So as professionals in the industry, I think we need to take that to the next step and go, okay, this would be a good opportunity to work this product or this service or whatever into the conversation the specific statistic escapes me, and I'll paraphrase a little bit, but I saw a survey years and years ago from one of the big banking associations, and they said a very small percentage of people walk into a branch expecting to ask questions about another product or service, but like 75% of them would be interested in knowing more if presented an opportunity to learn more. And I used that statistic when we did internal training to say, Nobody likes to be told no, and I get that. But if three-quarters of the people that are in front of you would be interested in knowing more about what you can do for them as a banker, wouldn't you know a 75% hit rate be worth it to, to position yourself as a more trusted source and do more for your customer so they're happier and the bank wins and everybody walks away a winner? And, and so those numbers, I think, are just reinforced with this that consumers want to know more so let's figure out a way that we can position ourselves so we can we can tell them about it you're listening to fintech focus we're analyzing the results of csi's consumer poll 2018 with eric cook a digital strategist specializing in community banks at wsi so how can financial institutions do that though eric how how can they get that information that they need to present products and services that are meaningful to the customer that they will say yes to? You know, and that's a really good question. I think some of it's going to be before you have that conversation with the customer to try to figure out what really is going on. So spending some time analyzing your own customer database, your system, your products, looking at your market so that you have a good handle on that. Then train your employees to look for cues to work those different products and services into the conversation. Mm -hmm. So when somebody comes in and they're talking about X, in training you say, well, if people are asking about X, Y, or Z, then that would be a good opportunity to introduce them to A or to B. And then you take them down the path of, you know, all the cool things that you can do from an electronic banking perspective to save them time, to save them money. And the reasons why that's good, because you can spend more time with your family, you get things done faster. And, and, but I think it goes back to employee training, 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 training. As much as we talk about the digital world in which we live, so much of its success really falls on the shoulders of the humans that are behind the keyboards and the screens, as far as I'm concerned. And speaking of, of uh, digital offerings in the digital world, nearly nine in 10 customers told us that they're happy with their financial institution's current digital offerings. Uh, I assume that means that banks can call it a day when it comes to their digital platforms, right? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did I answer that fast enough? I threw up the softball and you knocked it out of the park, buddy. Good job. Boom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that concerned me a little bit when I saw some of, some of this is in a response, if, if, if I'm at a bank and I'm there, it's probably because they're meeting my needs. What I think is hidden in the data that would be interesting as a, as a kind of a phase two is, is asking questions like, you know, if you've switched banks recently, 
digital product selection or online capability, whatever the, the, the question is, was that a factor in your decision to switch banks? Because if it's not meeting their expectation, they're going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, so banks seeing this and, and, you know, it could very well be interpreted. Nine and 10 consumers told us that they're happy with their digital offerings, but look within your bank to find out, well, who's falling outside of that. And those are the ones that you're at risk of losing. And there's also the, they don't know what they don't know concept, very similar to the financial service. They may not realize how awesome mobile remote deposit capture on a cell phone is until they see one of their friends at a competing institution brag about how easy it is. And then all of a sudden their expectation of what they're getting from you has changed. And, and that's going to be a really quick thing because they're going to see it. They're going to ask for it. And if you don't have it or it's not planned or it's not on the horizon, services like that aren't things that, you know, you can just snap your fingers and implement in 30 days. They take time. And, and so looking down the road, that number can shift very, very quickly, I think. Eric, we also asked a couple of security-related questions to, uh, to survey takers. In the first, we asked Americans if they feel confident that their financial institution can protect their private information from a data breach. Four out of five respondents answered yes. But of course, that leaves 20% who don't have confidence. How would you say financial institutions could reassure their more skeptical customers that their information is safe? Education is the word of the day here because I'm going to use that again. But it's making sure that they understand if this 20% feels that their financial institution doesn't have the ability to protect their private info, why is it the case? And, And I don't know the actual statistics, but if you look at all the data breaches that take place that cause a financial institution to have to do a debit card reissue, for example, it's not because the bank lost data. It's not because the bank had their systems penetrated and account numbers stolen. It's because some merchant out there that customers did transactions with had gotten compromised. And it just so happened that that bank's debit card customers had transaction data there, which caused the reissuance. And I remember back when I was a banker having conversations when we would reissue a debit card. And the very first question out of the customer's mouth is, well, you know, why did you guys let this happen? How is it that the bank allowed for my card to be stolen. We don't know what merchant it was. So it's not that you want to pass the buck, but it's making sure that in a data breach scenario, which is going to happen because that's just the world we live in, in a data breach scenario where the vulnerabilities exist and what the bank is doing to help protect to make sure that those vulnerabilities, if exposed, don't mushroom into a bigger issue and talk about the things that we have with regards to bank secrecy and proactive fraud detection and transaction profiling that are out there monitoring customer activity so we can catch things maybe even before the merchant catches it. That's where I think consumer preference and behavior and knowledge is going to shift because they're going to see that we really do have a much better handle on this. They're just things outside of our control that are, are causing us to have to react, unfortunately. Is there anything that a financial institution can sort of take command of in regards to the education? And, and what are some ways in which they can do that? 
Well, I think just leading the charge and making sure that you have some sort of a program in place that talks about these things. Um, a lot of our clients are coming back to us and saying, hey, we need to create more of a robust online security center within our website. We need to have better articles. We need to have better resources. We've got videos that talk about these sorts of things. Um, and I think even the regulators are putting the burden of education and responsibility onto the banks to say, you need to teach your customers about this stuff, about identity theft and, you know, potential loss and corporate account takeover and all these other sorts of things that are important. So the cool part about living in the digital age is you've got a plethora of avenues in which the information can be distributed. You can use your website as the basis and the foundation for these things, news articles, white papers, resources, downloadable elements, but you can use live streaming video, you can do recorded video, you can do what you guys are doing with podcasts and other sorts of audio recordings, so that regardless of how somebody wants to learn about this, give it to them in digestible elements that are more appropriate. The second security-related question, we ask consumers if they believe mobile-based payments are more secure than credit or debit cards. And for this, 49% of Americans answered yes, which, uh, given uh, sort of the, the newness of, of payment options like P2P and mobile wallets, that doesn't seem too shabby. Do you have thoughts on how banks can increase consumer confidence in this? Well, I think it's important that we define what a mobile payment is compared to a debit or a credit card transaction. And, and, you know, P2P, when you go into Facebook Messenger and I click on the little coin and I send money, or you've got services like Venmo or PayPal, I think that's what I think the intent of that question was really going after. But how can institutions gain a little more control over that? And I've seen some recent tweets from bankers that have embraced the P2P payment within their own institution with services that are available through the bank. And they're presenting questions, you know, if you use a third-party service, what if you sent money to the wrong person? Can you get that back? What if there's a problem? So, you know, making sure people understand how that process works, how the money gets from point A to point B, what the person on the other end needs to do in order to receive that money because I think for the generation that didn't grow up in this type of an environment, there's a lot of questions about how that process just works. And then once they understand how it works, they're going to get more comfortable with it. After a break, we'll find out why Eric thinks social media is still an important tool for banks, despite having some of the lowest numbers in our survey. You're listening to FinTech Focus from CSI. According to a recent study from Oracle, 81% of consumers are using digital channels to engage with their bank, and 69% of respondents said they want their entire financial life cycle on digital channels. If you want to attract customers who will stay with your institution for life, you need to give them seamless, core integrated digital banking. Download our free digital banking ebook at csiweb.com slash omnichannel to learn how an integrated digital banking platform can boost cross sales, reduce costs, and increase customer loyalty. That's csiweb.com slash omnichannel. So in our final question of the survey, we asked Americans about their bank's social media presence. And on average, 36% of consumers believe that it's important their bank remain active on social. This is an area that it seems that some community banks still struggle. So what would you suggest to those banks that are still holding off a bit in this area? 
Well, first off, 36 percent, I mean, that's the lowest number that came in this survey. I don't think that number is going to convince a bank to go out and fire up a Facebook page. (laughs) My father was a community banker for 33 years, and one of his many pieces of sage advice that he shared with me was, you will realize people will choose to bank with you because you're their banker, not because you work at the bank. And I feel community banks are missing an opportunity to educate and empower and enable their their employees to be open and accessible and communicate with their customers in their community because building those connections, and it's happening already in a certain sense because when we do surveys with clients and we figure out what their social shadow looks like, we will get employees that will tell us that they're communicating and connecting with their customers through apps like Instagram and Snapchat and WhatsApp, even though the financial institution doesn't have a formal customer engagement policy. So they're not really taking advantage of training their employees the right ways to share all of the things that we've talked about prior as it relates to education. If a bank posts something out that talks about electronic services or an omni-channel experience or security, a consumer may not catch that just because of organic visibility and other challenges. But if my banker and I are friends on Facebook and he shares something that says, hey, we think it's really important that everybody, and it's, it's coming from my banker friend that I know and trust because they've taken care of me in the last two homes that I bought. And anytime I have an issue with my account, he takes care of that. Using your employees as distribution channels, I think, is one of the ways that you can make sure that the general public is going to pay more attention to you and what you're saying, because ultimately it's going to come back to the institution. But it's not just the bank that's distributing that information. It's the people that are part of that bank. And as you think of the old-fashioned model of banking before social media came into play, You know, my father, our loan officers, myself, we were involved in community activities and events and we volunteered and we did, you know, things around the 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 area that we served. And that's where we were involved in interactive. And now we've just got a digital opportunity to do that that comes with more risk. But I'd say it comes with more reward. We just need to be comfortable with that and uh, and get our staff to participate and be good advocates for us. Eric, I think it's important to note as as we talk about uh, bank employees getting uh, very active on social media, it's very important for the bank to make sure they're educated on compliance and regulatory guidelines, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also making sure employees understand, you know, what they can and can't say. And obviously, regulatory issue, that's one thing, you know, somebody asks a question, what are interest rates? And, you know, a mortgage lender tweets and says, four and a quarter, see me today. And, you know, that's going to violate all sorts of truth and lending laws. But if somebody goes online and they complain about the bank and, you know, they've got a problem, they need to understand where that's supposed to go within the channels of command because you don't want your employees out there, you know, trying to defend the institution and in good faith, accidentally saying something that could get the bank in trouble. Um, and so make sure that they know that if somebody poses a question or a concern, this is the official voice of the institution to respond back. Eric, you fully reviewed our report and the findings uh, we uncovered. Was there anything else in the uh, in the results that jumped out at you in particular? It reinforces 
the importance, particularly for a community bank, one, education, education, education. You know, yeah, there's a lot of digital questions and platforms, but at the end of the day, how prepared is your staff? How well does your staff understand your digital offerings? Um, you know, I'll unfortunately still talk to bankers that have employees that don't even use their mobile banking app or even know how to log into online banking because I hear things like, well, why would I need online banking? I work at the bank. <laughs> and, and some of the more adventuresome bankers are cutting off in-office access. If you want to get access to your money, even though you work here, I get it, you're going to use online banking, you're going to use mobile deposit, you're going to transact just like anybody else. And some of them are fearful, and I actually had one banker who shall remain nameless, but I had one banker say, well, if we made our customer, or our employees use the same service as our customers, it would be really hard for us to keep employees because it's not really easy. And I said, do you realize what you just said? He goes, yeah, I know, and that's a problem. When somebody comes in and they want to do business with you and they need to understand how it works, if you've got your employees that are actually living and breathing, they've done an application online, they've downloaded an app, they've done a transfer, they've done a, a check scan, if they can actually say this is great, if they can't say this is great, then you need to go to the next level and go, how do we make sure that this experience is one that our employees are excited and proud to tell our customers about? That shifts into a completely different conversation because you can train and educate as much as you want. If the experience isn't there, that falls back on your vendors, your partners, your technology, your strategic plan that's built around what you want to be for your customers. Um, that's kind of the next layer. But start with your employees first and then build out and make sure you've got the right tech partners at play because I think those two are really, really going to be dependent on one another. Well, Eric, we threw a ton of information and a lot of statistics and percentages at you, and we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and help us unpack all this. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us. My pleasure. I absolutely love talking about this. Anytime, I'd love to come back. That's it for this week's episode of FinTech Focus. Thanks again to Eric Cook for joining us today, and thanks to all of you for listening. To learn more about Eric's work with community banks, visit WSI's website at poweredbywsi.com. He'll also be speaking at our customer conference, CX18, September 11th through the 13th in Dallas, Texas. To download CSI's full consumer survey report, visit csiweb.com slash consumerpoll2018. You can subscribe to FinTech Focus wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to those who have given us a review on Apple Podcasts. Keep them coming. We love to see them, and they help more people discover the show. For previous episodes of Fintech Focus, and to learn more about CSI, head over to CSIweb.com. We'll see you next time.